Good morning and welcome everybody. Let's go ahead and stand up, get the blood flowing for this first song. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, we lift up your name with hearts full. Hearts full of praise, so be exalted, O Lord my God, Hosanna in the highest. Glory, glory, glory to the King of kings. Glory, glory, glory to the King of kings. Lord, we lift up your name with hearts full, hearts full of praise, so be exalted, O Lord my God, Hosanna in the highest. Nice. Awesome. You may be seated. <laughs> I too extend uh, welcome to all of you this morning and also those who are watching around, maybe even the world, who knows, but it's great to be together to exalt our God and to give him praise and also encourage one another. You know, the most significant event in all of history was the resurrection of Jesus. The most significant event for us was the resurrection of Jesus. Nothing more significant. And Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. And the Spirit of God, that Spirit, is in us. Reflect on that for just a moment to think about the most significant event in history. And the power of that event is within us as followers of Jesus. Now, do we live like that? It allows us to gather this morning and to give our hosannas to him and to praise him for the life that he's given us and the power to live the life that he's given us. Let's celebrate that this morning, but also encourage each other in that as well. Let's pray. Father, it's amazing to think that the power that raised Jesus is within us, that we can have the, that spirit, your spirit within us, Help us to realize that, Father, on a daily basis, and especially help us to realize that this morning as we think about praising you, but also encouraging each other to live spirit-filled. We're thankful for that reality, and we're thankful for the life that you've given us. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.
All right, we got to stand again for this song. If you're willing and able. <clears throat> you are exalted, Lord, above all else. We place you at the highest place above all else. Right now where we stand and everywhere we go, we place you at the highest place so the world will know. You are a mighty warrior, dressed in armor of light, crushing the deeds of darkness, leading us on in the fight. Through the blood of Jesus, victorious we stand. We place you at the highest place, above all else in this land. You are exalted, Lord, above all else. We place you at the highest place above all else. Right now where we stand and everywhere we go. We place you at the highest place so the world will know. That you are a mighty warrior dressed in armor of light. Crushing the deeds of darkness, leading us on in the fight. Through the blood of Jesus, victorious we stand. We place you at the highest place above all else in this land. You are exalted, Lord, above all else. You are exalted, Lord, above all else. Amen. Abrupt ending. <laughs> Go ahead and be seated. On bended knee I come, with a humble heart I come, bowing down before your holy throne, lifting holy hands to you as I pledge my love anew. I worship you in spirit, I worship you in truth, make my life a holy praise unto you. On bended knee I come, with a broken heart I come. Bowing down before your holy throne. As I look upon your face, show your mercy and your grace. Change my life, O Holy Spirit. Make me fresh and ever new. Make my life a holy sacrifice to you. Amen. Good morning, church. Nelda and I would like to extend our greetings to you. And we would also like to let you know that we will be back with you soon. This morning's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 17 and going through verse 26. That's Luke chapter 5, 
verses 17 through 26. One day when Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. We are, uh, we're continuing our series on the gospel of Luke and looking at some kind of broader themes that occur in this gospel. Uh, before that, though, I want to say this. Uh, you may not know this. Every time that our stage changes, uh, there's someone to thank for that. Uh, and I'm not going to go too much into this. I, this week was a beautiful week. It was sunny outside. It was warm. We went on a whole bunch of walks as a family. It was wonderful. It was fantastic. And this morning, it's drizzling. And it's kind of gray and gloomy. Lorinda and I had plans. We were going to go home. I, I cleaned my smoker this week so that I could do some barbecue. And midweek, I got a chance to do that. I was super excited. We were going to go home, and we were going to smoke some, some wings. Uh, and I was looking forward to that. And it's just not the weather for it. And I was kind of in a, a funk when I got to the church building. And then I, I walked into the auditorium, and I saw our stage, beautiful and springy. Dania is responsible for that, if you don't know. Uh, and she wasn't alone. She had two helpers. Um, Jim and Janine came in and helped out. Uh, Jim did the manual labor of moving the pillars out of here. Uh, I made the joke this morning, and it kind of landed with a thud, but a pillar of our church helped move the pillars off the stage. There are a lot of little things that happen in the church that a lot of people don't see happen because they happen when nobody's around. Um, and there are a lot of people in our congregation that uh, don't do it for the recognition. But if you know someone's done something, take a moment and thank them for it. Um, there are a lot of people that, that make sure that things happen that are supposed to happen. And that's actually going to tie in, I think, pretty well to the end of our, our sermon this morning. Um, we're talking about Jesus. And we're talking about things that we know about God because we see them in Jesus. Jesus is the fullness of God in a single person, completely and wholly God, but also completely and fully man. It's, it's this beautiful image that we have uh, that's reiterated over and over again in the Gospels. And I think in Luke we see it played out 
in, in beautiful detail. And Luke has little themes that run through the gospel. And the one this morning that I want to talk about is this idea that Jesus sees the whole person. He doesn't, he doesn't pick people apart into two separate halves, the spiritual person and the, the physical person. He doesn't treat an individual as though one half of who they are is unrelated to the other. And if there's anyone who has ever fully understood what it meant to be both physical and spiritual, to be a, a human body and a spiritual being, Jesus would be the one, right? As fully God and fully man. Jesus sees the whole person. And I want to talk about that looking first at the verse that Chuck read for us this morning. Um, this is a, a passage that for me, it just exemplifies this idea here. It says, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, course, we're on the inside track. We know Jesus is God, and he can forgive sins as a result of that. But here, here they're asking this question, who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. For me, this is a, a really powerful image. There's, there's a lot of things I really like about this passage. I like the whole uh, question of like property destruction. Uh, they, they open up the roof to drop this man down inside. There's uh, this, this fervency that these friends have for their, their buddy who's paralyzed, the faith that they have to bring him before Jesus, Jesus reading the minds of these individuals who are, are questioning his, his intents and purposes, um, you know, who he is. It's, it's a really loaded passage, but the thing that stands out most to me is that he's come, this man has been brought for physical healing. He's brought before Jesus so that he can walk again. That's the whole reason he's there in the first place. The faith of his friends has prompted him to be there. They've, they've brought him there because they believe Jesus can do something about his physical well-being. That's a good thing. I think, you know, when we bring a friend before Jesus. Maybe we're lifting them up in prayer and, and asking for God's intervention in their lives. That's a faithful thing on our part. We believe that God can do something about it, and so we pray for them. When we go and we serve them in some way, we do it because we believe that by doing so, they might come to know God, and God can do more for them than we can as individuals. That's a, a good thing. I don't know, though, that any of them came to Jesus thinking that this man would receive forgiveness of sins. Their faith was a little bit limited, maybe to the physical realm. Now, I'm, I'm assuming about them here, but I don't think it's wrong to think that the whole purpose of bringing this man there was so that he could be physically healed. And Jesus does something else first. He heals him spiritually. Your sins are forgiven. Now, as, as Christians, as people who have an eternal mindset, as people that believe that we endure after death, that is really good news. That's fantastic. Jesus forgives the man's sins. And I don't know about you, but that's, to me, the hinge pin of this whole story. It's wonderful. Jesus forgives his sins. 
because we think eternally. But Jesus, Jesus knows that this is also an opportunity for God to be glorified. It would be, perhaps, enough for this man to walk away, not walk away, to be carried away, simply forgiven of his sins. From an, eter- an eternal perspective, that would be enough. I don't know that any of us would question that. But Jesus hears the thoughts of these men, and, and he decides that for the glory of God, what he will do so that they might believe, that they might have, we'd say, faith, he's going to heal the man's body as well. Because it's really hard to see someone's sins forgiven in a way that lands on your mind. Oh, wow, I saw their sins forgiven. Now, we've witnessed baptisms, and we know what's happening there. We have the, the capacity for understanding and processing the transaction, the, the, the removal of sins in the blood of Christ. And so for us, baptism is an exciting moment because we see it happening. For them, it's just words. Their sins are forgiven. Man, this guy's a blasphemer. He's saying that he's forgiving sins. All right, you want to see something happen. Let me show you. Get up. Rise. Take your bed and go home. Those are the words of Jesus here. Jesus does two things. He says two things, essentially. Man, your sins are forgiven, and I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus heals the spirit of this man, the soul, who he is at his core, of the sins that are plaguing him. Perhaps the greatest affliction that any human being can experience is the cost of their own sin. And he also heals his body. He doesn't leave him there. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Glorifying God. The man who was healed, they glorified God, these people who had doubted just before. And what ends up coming of this is this beginning of a production of belief and faith in individuals who doubted before. See, God works uh, on our souls, our spirits, oftentimes through physical means. There are things that we can look at in our lives, physical evidence that, that pushes us towards him. Now, that doesn't mean that God needs to manifest a miracle for us to have faith. But oftentimes in Scripture, one of the things that Jesus does is he, he either finds someone who has faith and does for them, or he does for someone who is lacking in faith, or the crowd around them is lacking in faith, and they grow in faith as a result of that. And it's always some kind of physical healing, or, or in the case of a, driving out a demon, some physical healing, certainly, because if a demon is causing you to harm yourself, it's uh, binding you and, and causing you to harm yourself in ways that you know, have a lasting and lingering effect, there's a physical healing there, but also a spiritual healing, right? There are several instances in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus does exactly this sort of thing, where he connects faith and healing. Either because someone has faith, he heals them or someone they love, or As a result of the healing that happens, the people around the situation grow in their belief or their faith. And I think of a certain number of these, the centurion's servant, when Jesus says, I tell you, 
Not even in Israel have I found such faith. The centurion comes to Jesus and he wants his servant healed and Jesus, Jesus heals him because of the faith of the centurion. I think of uh, Jairus' daughter. If I can get this to move forward here. Perhaps. No, it's okay. I'll do this. The bleeding woman. We'll get to Jairus' daughter in one second. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is Jesus healing a woman, not, not necessarily by his own in interaction. She actually approaches him for the healing. She reaches out and touches him, and because of her faith, she is healed. And there's this connection of faith and, and healing. In addition to that, Jairus' daughter, where a, a girl is ill, perhaps dead, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. This is, this is a connection of faith and healing. And these two things are often intertwined in the Gospel of Luke. Either, again, the individual who is healed has faith, or someone in the story comes to faith as a result of seeing the miraculous healing that happens. There are times, though, where we see that people who lack faith lack the ability to do Jesus never lacks faith in his ability to heal somebody. There's, there's never a moment where Jesus, as the healer, says, well, this is impossible. I can't heal this person. It's, it's just not going to happen. Jesus knows his capabilities. Jesus knows what he's able to do and what he's not able to do. In fact, it's other people that doubt what Jesus can do in the story of the paralyzed man. Jesus is doubted for his ability to forgive sins and does it anyway because he doesn't doubt it. But there are a couple of moments in, in the Gospel of Luke where people who should have faith lack faith. And I want to read this one to you. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. This is after Jesus has sent them out to do good works. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing." Jesus does this. Now, it doesn't directly say that these people had faith, but they're coming to him for some reason. They believe there is something big going on with Jesus. They come to him, Jesus heals these people. It says, now the day began to wear away. And the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away, and uh, sorry, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. And they've been witnessing Jesus performing miraculous healings all day. They've, they've witnessed him teaching powerfully about God's kingdom arriving. And this is fairly late in their interactions with Jesus. They've witnessed him perform healings. They know what he's capable of doing. They know who he is. They want to send these people away. There's no food here. Send them away, Jesus. And Jesus says to them something very simple, um, something that I think I would be challenged by. He said to them, you give them something to eat. You. Give them something to eat. Now they've witnessed Jesus and they know his power. They know his authority. Over and over again in scripture, we're told that Jesus does something or says something and people recognize his authority. They recognize something miraculous has happened. They recognize that this is no ordinary man. And so if Jesus is telling you to do something directly, it feels like you should say, okay, well, 
if you say it can be done, we're going to do it. It's a little bit of that Peter walking on the water sort of thing where he gets out of the boat and he just, he doesn't ask, can I do this? He gets out and he starts walking, right? And then, of course, he realizes, I shouldn't be able to do this, and he starts sinking. Here, I kind of, if you stop for just a moment and you haven't read the story before, you might be thinking, oh, this is going to be great. Jesus is going to have the disciples feed the multitude. The apostles are going to do something miraculous here. Of course, we all grew up in Sunday school, and we know this story, and what ends up happening is they're like, well, Jesus, we got a few fish and some loaves. Not enough food for all these people. How are we supposed to feed them? I just told you, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we are to go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And it's kind of, okay, all right. Maybe I'm asking too much of you right now. You just handle the details. I'll take care of the feast. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd, and they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. What did Jesus do that the apostles couldn't have? Does Jesus ask them to do something that they couldn't have possibly done? I'd not thought about it in those terms before until, until reading through Luke this last time, and I came to the realization Jesus is asking them to do something that given the fact that they've been off doing good works in the name of Christ, maybe they should have enough faith to say, well, hey, we can feed these people. We know who we serve. We know what he's capable of. And if he's asking us to do it, we can do it. Wow. <laughs> but Jesus has to take matters into his own hands. And he does. And he feeds the crowd. And the reason that I, I think about this is in light of what comes after, shortly thereafter, we read this story about a demon-possessed man. And uh, I want to go ahead and read through this. Oh, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And these are, again, the men that Jesus has entrusted much of his ministry to. He has sent them out on their own at different times and, and given them the opportunity to take ownership of the ministry that he is doing. In fact, invited them into that whole process. And they can't cast out the demon. And the man is frustrated by this. My son is, is possessed. It's causing him harm. It's causing him trouble. It's causing him grief. It's causing me trouble. I begged and they wouldn't do it. Maybe not they wouldn't, but they could not. And then Jesus responds to this scenario, this situation, with these words. Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. 
And again, I've read this for a long time, and I kind of thought maybe Jesus was criticizing the man who brings, brings the situation to him. Oh, if only you had the faith for your son to be healed. They could have done. No, that's not what Jesus is doing here. For the second time in just two chapters, something I think the disciples, the apostles, should have been able to do, they simply can't. And Jesus says, they're faithless. Now, obviously, he's applying it to a much broader group of people than just these apostles, but maybe it's because these apostles have come from a faithless generation that they struggle to do the very things that they've seen Jesus do, that he has, in fact, told them they're going to be doing. Where is your faith? He's asking them. I'll do it myself. Second time in just two chapters. I'll do it myself. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of Jesus. Now, I want you, I want you to just stop there for one moment and think about this story in the, in the context of the Gospel of Luke, where constantly healing and faith are tied together. And what we end up seeing is that both the individual performing the healing or doing the miraculous thing has to have faith in what it is that they are doing, but, but more importantly, in the one that they are serving as they do it. And then, the faith that it either takes on the part of the individual who is healed, or the faith it produces in them to have been healed. As I read these two passages this week, I'd, I really wanted this whole sermon to just be about, you know, Jesus cares about our physical needs and our spiritual needs. That's true. That's something I'm going to get around to affirming here in just a moment. But I think there is a deeper meaning in these two passages that we've read this morning that come in 9 uh, and, and uh, here at the end of this, this uh, section in chapter 9. I'm flipping ahead too quickly. Jesus expects us, as his hands and feet, to have the faith to do the work. This is, this is what I've been convicted with in the last uh, week and a half or so. Jesus expects us as his hands and feet to have the faith to do the work. And it doesn't do us any good to know that Jesus cares about the, both the physical and spiritual well-being of people if we don't have the faith to see to the sp physical and spiritual well-being of people. Sometimes I get it in my head that, you know, well, I can't, I can't take care of this situation. I don't have the resources. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. What I can do is I can pray for you. And that's a good thing. It is a faithful thing to pray for people who are in need. But why do I often limit myself in my ability to care for other people? Now, I'm not suggesting this morning that any of us are going to lay hands on people and miraculously heal them tomorrow. I don't think that that's something we're being called or charged to do in these passages. What I think we're being called and charged to do is that where we see a physical need for someone, we see to it, out of our faith. And the only thing I can think of as I read these passages is, is what we see in James chapter 2, where James says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother 
or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, I think as these apostles follow Jesus around, they are professing a faith. They believe in Jesus. Maybe they don't believe in Jesus' ability to work through them. Yes, it's well and good for Jesus to see to the physical needs of these people, and we're going to be there to witness it and marvel at it and tell other people about it. I'm so excited that Jesus can do these good works. I'm so excited that Jesus loves people and that he cares about their souls and forgives their sins and that he'll take care of their physical needs. He'll get rid of their demons. He'll feed them. Of course, by the time we get to the the book of Acts, the apostles have taken on themselves a lot of the understanding of how involved in seeing the whole person they are called to be, how the church is supposed to care for the needs of those who have faith in Christ, and to go even beyond that and serve the needs of those who don't yet have faith so that they might have faith. We are called to see the whole person in the same way that Jesus does. Because there are people outside of our our fellowship, and maybe even within, who are hungry. There are people outside of our fellowship who are are, uh, unclothed, who are homeless, who are struggling in many different ways. And it's well and good for us to pray, Jesus, do something about this scenario. Solve this problem for this person. God, heal them from this illness and this affliction. It would be wonderful, Lord, if you could take care of uh, the hungry here in Newburgh. Jesus, you do the work. We believe you can do it. And Jesus is telling his apostles, It's not enough that you just believe I can do it. You have to believe that I can work through you to get this done. You want the multitudes fed, feed them. All right, you don't have the faith to do it. I'll step in now and I'll do it. But man, wouldn't it have been great if those 12 men had stepped up and said, we're going to do it, Jesus, because we believe that we can do it through you. Jesus, this guy, his son has a demon in him and we can't cast him out. You know, what can we do about this situation? You guys do it because you have faith that I can do it. I will do it through you. Wouldn't it have been much better if Jesus hadn't had to say, you faithless generation, where is your faith? What have you witnessed? What are you going to do with that? This is, this is what I want us to think about this morning, is that sometimes we think that the only thing we can do is what's within our ability to be done. I only have so many resources. I only have so much time. I only have so much energy. I don't know enough about the situation. I don't have the, the uh, full perspective. And so, you know what? I'm just going gonna to commit to pray about it. Pray 
about things. Certainly pray about the spiritual well-being of the people that you encounter on a daily basis, but recognize this. We are called not just to pray for situations, but to believe that Christ can use us to resolve a lot of the troubles that we encounter in our lives. Because I kind of think James is saying, look, it's great if you say, I'm going to pray for your needs. Go be warm and well-fed. God will get around to it. But I think that we're called to get around to it. I think that what we see ultimately is that we as Christians need to care enough about the physical and spiritual well-being of the people that we encounter on a daily basis that we do something about it. We don't say, hey, let them go off into the town to get the food that they need because we're in kind of a desolate place. We say, hey, how can we fix the desolation that we find ourselves in? How can we increase our faith so that we can see to the spiritual needs of those who are around us? Because if both of these needs are significant to Jesus, shouldn't they be significant to us as well? I confess this morning, I lack the faith to cast out demons. Uh, Kyle, Kyle and I received an email. Uh, actually, Norma received an email and forwarded it to us. And uh, we, we lack the faith to cast out a demon. Uh, we were asked to maybe come pray over a house. I don't remember the exact wording. Uh, and Kyle had said, I, I lack the faith to do that. And I will confess, I lack the faith to do that as well. And I wasn't entirely sure that this particular email was sincere. But... What if, what if I didn't lack the faith? When a, a thing presents itself to us, what if we didn't lack the faith to stand up and say, in the name of Christ, I believe that this can happen? I'm not calling anyone here to go out and cast out demons. But what if our, what if our approach to every situation that's uncomfortable or awkward Every situation that arises where we don't necessarily think we have all the, the solution, we say, well, I don't, but God does. I'm going to see this through to the end. Because I believe no matter what the problem is, God is big enough to handle it, even if I am just this big in my faith. I want to challenge us as a congregation to be the kind of congregation that sees a multitude that is hungry and feeds them. Because I think Jesus' words to his apostles are the same words that arrive on our ears. You see the hungry people, feed them. I'm not entirely sure what to do with that on a daily basis for myself right now, but I, I'm, I'm working on it. And I want to encourage all of us to work on this idea of hearing the call of Jesus and having the faith to act. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we may not be called to feed 5,000 people. We may not be called to cast out demons. We may not be called even to provide a cup of cool water for someone who's thirsty. But Father, I think many times we are. And I think we use a lot of excuses. I don't have 
the time or the resources or energy to see to this problem. And so I'll pray about it and I'll let God handle it. And I think when I do that, I think you look at me and you say, what a faithless generation. Of course, you don't have the ability to handle it. I do. Father, help us to see that we are more than just believers. We are doers. You have commissioned us and called us into your ministry, and when we fail to live into that ministry, help us to feel the disappointment that you may be experiencing in our lack of faith so that we are convicted to act, Father. Because as James says, faith without deeds, it's dead. If we have faith, we're going to have something to show for it. God, I feel personally convicted this morning that there are a lot of times that I just I throw my hands up in the air and say, I can't solve this, this problem. I can't solve this situation. This is my confession this morning, Father, that oftentimes I think that I'm responsible for the good works in my life. And the truth is you are responsible for the good things that I do. Whatever ability I have, whatever resource I have, it came from you first. And it is just a faithful thing for me to do the good that you have given me to do. I pray, God, that in our hearts you work on us so that we will have the faith to move mountains or at least have the faith to see the whole person. To recognize that the journey of faith doesn't always begin with the healing of sins, but Father, sometimes it begins with the healing of the body. Sometimes it begins with a single charitable act. Sometimes it begins with a listening ear. Sometimes it begins by donating more time than we have to another person so that they know that they are loved and cared for. Father, I pray that you give us hearts that are open to doing exactly that. And forgive us for the times that we haven't. God, we, we need to pray to have our unbelief overcome so that we can more fully embrace the ministry that you've given to us. I pray for that. Help us overcome our unbelief. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we are all called to the ministry of Christ. If we are believers, if we have confessed his name, if we have put him on in baptism, if we have accepted our salvation, we have also accepted a role in the kingdom of heaven. We have accepted the opportunity to minister to the world around us and to proclaim the good news of our Lord and Savior. And if you are looking for opportunities to do that, if you are struggling to see how you can personally enact your faith in ways that see the, the physical and spiritual needs of people in our community, we want to equip and empower you to do that. We want to help you to grow in your faith so you can move mountains, so you can feed the multitudes, and so that you can provide the good news to the people you encounter. And if you need that this morning, uh, if you need encouragement and equipping, um, I can promise you that our elders and our ministers are happy to sit with you and talk through what that looks like. Um, if you are in need of salvation, the healing of the greatest affliction that you've experienced in your life, 
uh, be happy to talk to you about baptism, be happy to talk to you about committing your life to Christ in the waters of baptism. And I'll be at the back of the auditorium this morning, uh, and we can visit for a little while if that's what you need. In the meantime, we're going to continue our worship as we stand and we sing. Jesus, keep me near the cross, there a precious fountain, free to all a healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain, in the cross, in the cross, be trembling soul love and mercy found me there the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me in the cross in the cross be next song is start preparing our hearts and our minds for communion you are my strength when i am weak you are the treasure that i seek you are my all in all seeking you as a precious jewel lord to give up i'd be a fool you are my all in all, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy
My bad. I thought there was another verse to that. <laughs> let's uh, let's go back a, a verse. I want to sing that again. Keep going. I'm missing a verse. That's my bad. Okay, the one I'm thinking of, we're going to sing. Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. And when I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Worthy is your name. Amen. Please be seated. So as Chris was talking about faith, coincidentally, I'd like to uh, have us think a little more about faith uh, as we participate in the Lord's Supper this morning. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This first takes me back to Sunday school long, long time ago, back in the ancient days. And of course, back then we had the King James Bible. And this is probably the verse that I remember the most out of my Sunday school days. And at that time in King James, we learned that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's the way I remember that. It's embedded in my mind. So as we're participating here together with each other and with the Lord, what is it that we do not see? Now, we know what we do see here. We're in a building. We see each other. What do we not see that is in accordance with our faith, or what we believe? Well, the Hebrew writer, um, a little later in this letter, has something to say about that that possibly gives us some insight what we do not see at this moment. Now this letter is written to primarily 
Jews who have converted to Christianity in the first century. And they were going through some very hard times, persecution and, and so on and so forth. There was a lot of suffering going on among the believers. So they're, they're, the writer, the Hebrew writer is obviously trying to inspire them to stay faithful and to keep their, their faith in Jesus because it's the way to go. So he says here in chapter 12, starting in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Okay, so here's what we do not see as we are assembled here together. There is a heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. So that's, that's where God is. And in that city, there are thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And with God and these thousands and thousands of angels are the spirits of righteous men, people, individuals who have been made perfect. So then there's the church. And those are those those are the ones whose names are written in heaven. I'd like to think that that's who we are. We're here, our names are written in heaven. We are the church. And with all of that is the blood. So there's the church, the body of Christ, and the blood. And then there's all this joyful assembly in this other realm that we can only imagine, but it's there. We don't see it, but it's there. So this is what we are able to participate in to, at this moment as we're assembled here together with God, Jesus, each other. And it's an amazing moment according to our faith. Let's pray for the bread. Father in heaven, thank you for the faith that you've given us, that you've told us about what we don't see and that we can know that it, it's really there. Thank you, Father, that uh, Jesus came. He paid the price for us. And we now have this opportunity to be a part of his body. Thank you for this bread that reminds us of him and gives us this opportunity to participate together as we partake of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Let's pray for the cup. Father in heaven, thank you again for what you've given us, what we can know about you, what we can know about the heavenly realms and this your city, the angels, and those and the fact that we our names are written in heaven. Thank you, Father, for the the blood that was shed. And thank you also, Father, for the Holy Spirit that was poured out for us. And again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to you've been encouraged but also challenged this morning I know I have and as always it's great to see those of you who are here and hopefully those who are watching online are finding ways to be connected and, and blessed by 
brethren. You know, you and I are all stretcher bearers, sometimes physically, sometimes spiritually, but we are all stretcher bearers, not just a story that we read this morning. And the only way we can be stretcher bearers is because the Spirit of God lives within us. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who lives in you. Let's pray. Father, we've been reminded this morning that you've called us to do a great thing, to do a great work through your power that is within us. Father, may we not limit your power. May we seek ways to bring glory and honor to you because of you working through us. Have us uh, give us eyes and ears to see and hear those opportunities and the faith to respond. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.